What is the worst thing that can happen to you in Ideally Games today? Is it getting your pockets picked in the red light district? Or having a bad trip to a coffee shop? Or could it be a bullet to your head while you ride your bicycle in the dark? Welcome to the Amsterdam Sniper and the world of Inspector Renus Romper. Written by Jean Vizot and narrated by the author. Hope you enjoy what you're about to hear and that it will freak you out. Episode 2 Rumpus stood at one of the big windows on the top floor of Ellensgrad while he waited for his colleagues to arrive. The building in its simple functionality had been inaugurated as the Amsterdam police headquarters in 1941 when Nazi Germany occupied the Netherlands. Hardly the Dutch police finest hour. The squealing noise from a tram passing below pulled Romper back to reality, and he spotted Sergeant Lucas Hartmann approaching on his bicycle. With his blonde hair and height of 193 cm, he looked unmistakably like the prototype of a real Dutchman. Romper turned away from the window and focused his gaze on the clock on the opposite wall. On most days, at 11.58, the building was a beehive, but no one liked to spend a Sunday at HQ. A vast conference table occupied the center of the spacious room. On the wall behind were a whiteboard and a bulletin board. Lucas entered the room. No real desire to see you today, Buzz, he said with a grin. I do apologize, Lucas, for dragging you away from your wife and baby girl on Sunday. They heard the familiar sound of Henny ascending the stairs two at a time with what seemed to be a minimal effort. Her well-toned form appeared in the stairwell. Couldn't she at least be a little out of breath, Rumba thought, with more than a little envy. There were sandwiches and soft drinks on the table and fresh coffee brewed temptingly in the corner. Rumba could be short-tempered and all over the place but he tried hard to make his team feel valued. It was one of the reasons they put up with his drinking and his erratic behavior. Henny had found it hardest to forgive him for letting them all down in the trafficking case, but at least today he was sober, one day at a time. An elderly lady above the antique shop in number 176 gave us the exact time of the shooting, Henny said, covering her mouth to suppress a yawn. An elderly lady above the antique shop in number 176 gave us the exact time of the shooting, Henny said, covering her mouth to suppress a yawn. Loud whistling in the street and the crashing of a bicycle woke her. Then silence. Her alarm clock showed 13 minutes past five and she went back to sleep. Rumper took a bite of a sandwich and told them about his visit to Vestercare. I interviewed the church clerk, Jules Youngblood, who arrived just after 8 to get the church ready for the 10.30 service. He saw the police car on the other side of the canal, but thought nothing of it. When I told him that a sniper most likely operated for within the tower, it annoyed him that the security alarm system hadn't prevented the break-in. Apparently, there's an absent-minded priest who often forgets to activate the system. Anyway... We did a sweep of the lower level of the tower 
and confirmed that it had been the sniper's vintage point. The storage room was undisturbed, but there was a perfectly round hole in the window pane. The CSI unit is there now, but to be honest, I doubt they'll find much. Any sign of how the sniper gained access, Henny asked. The clerk took me to all the doors on the ground floor, and none of them showed any visible signs of forced entry. Maybe the assailant used a key, Lucas suggested. It's possible, but I find it highly unlikely that the shooter had any official connection to the church. Still, we'll need information about all church employees and volunteers. I'll deal with it, Lucas said. Henny located the victim's profile on Facebook. Eddie Holson was from Leeds and had made his last ever post at 2029 the previous evening. A selfie accompanied by the message, shoot the Chelsea scum marching on together. Rumba recognized the background interior on the photo. That's O'Reilly's in Palaistrat. He had gone to that pub on several occasions to watch Ajax Amsterdam play in the Champions League. He thought of the comforted feeling of holding a pint of Guinness and could almost feel the soothing effect of the dark brew making its way down his throat. Twelve days sober, don't fuck it up. He poured himself another cup of coffee. No need to visit the pub for now. Let us for the moment keep the shooting as quiet as possible. Our priority is to get hold of Eddie Horsens next of kin, Rumpus said. The content of the victim's wallet revealed no contact information and his passport hadn't been on him. Henny picked up Eddie Horsens' iPhone 7 from the table. The six-digit access code made it impossible to get into. We need to find out where he stayed in Amsterdam. Was he just visiting for the weekend? Surely someone's missing him. Maybe a hotel waiting for him to check out Rumpa Post. The ringing of Ederhausen's mobile startled him. The display read, Mum. Henny passed it to Rumpa. Taking a deep breath, he answered. Inspector Rinus Rumpa from the Amsterdam Police. Leaving HQ, Rumba felt a hundred years old. He needed to get his car back to the garage. He needed to get home to feed his cat. He needed a nap and a shower, but most of all, he needed a drink. Telling a mother her son would return from Amsterdam in a coffin made him realize how little time he spent with his own daughter and son. He hadn't seen them for almost two weeks. Bless his girlfriend for insisting on taking them all to dinner that evening. He and Bella had met the previous summer at Amsterdam's district court. He'd been there to present evidence, and she was prosecuting for the state. A Dutch drug lord got 12 years, and Rumba got a date with the prosecutor. Born and raised in Cape Town, she had come to the Netherlands on a scholarship to finish her law studies at the University of Leiden. Much more than just a pretty face, Bella Stenkamp was a brilliant prosecutor, and word had it she would become a judge before turning 40. At 32, she was almost 12 years younger than Rumba. A lively bundle of bright energy, it was ironic that she chose to be the partner of a policeman who found life such a struggle. Mind you, with the right level of intoxication, he could be terribly charming, or maybe she just wanted to save him. 
Bella's income had a natural loss for sex, and they spent their first summer weekends together drinking rosé and making love. Without a drink to lend him confidence, however, Rumpa found it hard to perform. He felt inadequate before her beautiful body and was intimidated by the ease with which she expressed her desires and took charge. Her being sweet about it just made it worse. When he'd stopped drinking, Rumba began making excuses to avoid spending the night with her. Tonight, however, he had none. Rumba returned his car to the garage and walked to his apartment at Albert Six days out of seven, it hosted Amsterdam's famous street market, but on some days there were just a lot of parked cars. Rumba's two-bedroom apartment on the fifth floor was a renovated attic. It had great potential, but even after living there for some years, he had yet to make it at home. He didn't like being on his own, and so spent very little time there. Watson, a ten-year-old British shorthair, who more or less came with the apartment, was waiting to be fed just inside the front door. Rumper took the box of kibble from under the kitchen sink and filled the bowl on the floor for the ginger cat. Out of habit, he opened the fridge to get a beer, then begrudgingly poured a glass of sparkling mineral water instead. Moving to the living room, he switched on the TV and hit the couch. Now fed, Watson joined him for some attention. Within minutes, they both drifted off to sleep. When Rumba woke, it was dark, the TV the only source of light. Just like the good old drinking days, he thought. He pushed Watson from his lap and got up, as he desperately needed to relieve himself. After a piss, a shower and a shave, he almost felt like a new man. He looked in the wardrobe and was pleased to see that his favorite grey shirt was clean. Should he iron it, a thin black tie would have to do. Catching a glimpse of himself in the mirror, he didn't look too bad. What difference twelve days had made. Although the thought of a drinkless evening in a restaurant with his girlfriend, his son Jake and his daughter Joke made him nervous, he was looking forward to it. That's all folks. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Amsterdam Sniper and that you'll be back for the next one. I also hope that you'll tell all your wonderful friends about Inspector Rina's Rumba and that you'll visit www.jeanvizot.com for more information. Thank you and God bless.